Hi, everybody. We are Julia's parents, Jeannie and... Antonio calling from Brazil. This week on the show, Sally Tamarkan features director at Self. And WNYC reporter Arun Venakopal, who covers race and immigration. Let's start the show. This is it. <laughs> From NPR, I'm Julia Furlan in for Sam Sanders while he's out living his best life on vacation. It's been a minute. You did it, everybody. You made it to the weekend. As you heard my incredible parents tell you, our guests today are two of my OGs. Sally Tamarkin, Features Director for Self, and Arun Venegopal, who covers race and immigration for WMYC. Hi, guys. Hey. Hey, Julia. <laughs> the song that we're hearing right now is Gloria Stefan. Let's hear a little bit. This is it. This is life, the one you get to go and have a ball. It's a beautiful song, but we're hearing it for a sad reason, Mm. because it's the theme song for a Netflix show called One Day at a Time, which was one of the few shows that, like, really uplifted an entirely Latinx cast. And this week, Netflix made the decision to not renew the show for a fourth season, which I'm really bummed about. Yes, boo. Regular People fans and also Fancy People fans like Gloria Stefan and Lin-Manuel Miranda have been tweeting for days with the hashtag RenewODAT in an attempt to try and get the show back on air. Have you guys watched it? I've seen a bit of it. Yeah. I'm sorry, so I haven't been. I, so I had friends who for weeks and weeks before the cancellation rumors were just like, oh my God, this is the best show. Mm-hmm. You have to watch this. And so I really feel sad about this thing I've never watched. Yeah, it's so good. I feel like, you know, it's on Netflix, so you might as well catch up on mm-hmm. the three seasons that are there. Um, it's, I mean, it was such a beautiful show. People are, like, really criticizing Netflix, especially because Friends, they paid, you know, $100 million to keep Friends on Netflix. So... Um, you know, choices. Choices being Choices. Made. It's going to get another boo from me. <laughs> okay, to start the show, as we always do, each of us here will describe some news from the week in just three words. Arun, you are first. What have you got for us today? All right, so my three words are hate doesn't die. And I got to say, I came up with my three words, started thinking about this before we heard the news, this devastating news of these mass shootings in New Zealand. And so I guess it is a very strange and unsettling coincidence. I was writing this about anti-Semitism in America and all these Mm -hmm. different incidents we're seeing, very unsettling um, incidents of anti-Semitism, and then wake up to this news of this horrific, you know, brutal anti-immigrant, Islamophobic sort of massacre that's happened in New Zealand feels all too familiar for anybody who's lived in America. Um, This manifesto that people are like alternately saying, like, this is what he wrote. And and do not give this person um, the credit he deserves by going and indulging his xenophobic thoughts. Right. We should say that at least 49 people were killed by a gunman. And there were two mosques that were attacked in New Zealand in Christchurch. Arun, do you want to talk about the story that you had come up with, that you had prepared with, that happened this week? Um, it's It seems 
smaller, but it's also very connected to the spread of hate in general. Oh, my, my original three words kind mm-hmm. of idea? Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, when I first thought about this idea that hate doesn't die, I was struck by this incident that happened in Queens, in New York City, in, uh, in a neighborhood called Rigo Park. It was just a few days ago, actually, that it was a couple kids. Um, they were caught scrawling swastikas all over a playground in this neighborhood, uh, and they were arrested um, and charged with aggravated harass- harassment. And these are two 12-year-olds. And then at around the same time on the West Coast in Orange County, there were a group of high school students who uh, were having some sort of drinking game, and they formed a swastika out of their plastic beer cups. Oh, God. And um, were these people all willfully trying to terrorize Jewish Americans? Not necessarily. We may not ever know. Uh but I do think it doesn't matter when you think about like the effect that it has on people in this country, especially Jewish Americans who were terrified. And whether it's of you know this recent massacre at a uh, in Pittsburgh at a, a synagogue or um, other acts of anti-Semitism. I think it's also hard to figure out the right thing to say to a group of kids who. Maybe they don't understand the consequences of their actions. We want to, like, really hold them responsible, but we also want to teach them and we want to, you know, make sure that hate doesn't spread. It's really a a tangly thing. Do you have any thoughts, Sally? Yeah, I was just going to say, I mean, the fact that kids as young as 12 are getting involved with, like, swastika graffiti, sure, they could have white supremacist views to espouse, or they could just be kids being mischievous in a way that they know adults will find rebellious. But even if it is the latter, it's so troubling to me that it's so normalized and so mainstream to just like throw up a swastika or a Heil Hitler or whatever, um, or to make a swastika with your with your beer cups. And we wake up to this news um, about something that happened in New Zealand or that happened in Pittsburgh or Charleston. And it's uh, really, really hard to know what to say. Yeah. Well, I'm going to move on to my three words, which are grounded at last. It's a story that really took over the media this whole week. On Sunday, March 10th, a Boeing 737 MAX 8 crashed in Ethiopia and killed all 157 people who were on board. This is the second crash of this specific kind of airplane in less than five months. The other one was a Lion Air flight that crashed in Jakarta. Sally and Arun, were you freaked out? Did you have feelings about the crash that really took over our our Newsweek this week? I am so not into airplanes and flying. So when something really scary and sad happens, I spend a ton of time reading about it and trying to understand what happened. Um, And that is what I did this week. So that did take up about 70% of what I was thinking about. I, I somehow managed to not freak out about this as much as I mean, I guess we'll see when I get on a plane next time how I actually respond to it. Um, And sometimes the weird thing is your mind can be completely fine with it. Your body, though, Mm. reacts in a different way. That's the weird thing about Mm -hmm. getting on a plane and how you feel about it. Right. And for some people, like going to the airport is so much worse than than for other people. Right. And it was interesting to see how, like, throughout the week, there were different countries that were immediately, like, We'll ground the plane, we'll ground the plane, we'll ground the plane. And I was a little bit like, okay, okay. But the United States was not quite as fast on that. Yeah, it definitely seemed like it came later than it should have. You know, it's so interesting you say that because I I think, you know, we are in this era where like one institution after another, 
you know, we just lose our faith in it. You know, we become cynical and you kind of think like, is this going to be like a scientific decision that's made after due diligence or is it a politicized decision that has to do with who right. has access you know, to the FAA or to lawmakers or whatever. And mm. I think it's really unfortunate where you just don't know. Mm -hmm. And we get such competing information at times like this. So it's kind of scary. Mm -hmm. And we should say that the head of the FAA spoke to NPR this week and said that they didn't want to ground flights until they had more information about what went wrong. But it's definitely hard to feel like you know what's actually true. There's just so much to go through, and it's just a lot of information. It's really overwhelming. As if there's not other stories where we're constantly, like, you know, obsessing over and trying to figure out. Mm -hmm. It is a matter of, like, how much time do I actually devote yeah. to this particular panic? Today, <laughs> yeah, you know? how yeah, how much time do I have to spend on this particular thing I'm feeling anxious about, and how much data can I triangulate, and how many news mm. sources can I look at? It's... A lot. The answer is 24 hours yeah. a day, <laughs> any day. The answer is infinite. <laughs> <laughs> Sally, you're last. What are your three words? Well, Julia, speaking of infinite and endless ways of interacting with the news, my three words are hashtag Facebook down. Ooh. Tell us about it. Well, as you may know, uh, earlier this week, Facebook went down for, I think, about 14 hours um, and also the quote-unquote Facebook family of apps, as right. they call it. Right. It's a cute way of talking about all of the internet that they own, which is uh, <laughs> Instagram and, yeah, and WhatsApp, Tinder. Uh, so people were having a lot of trouble accessing Facebook and Instagram and posting and interacting with it. Um, and I think it uh, affected people in multiple countries. Um, right. I was affected by my uh, – it made it so that I couldn't, like, compulsively refresh Facebook for no reason, which oh, is wow. what I, I discovered. Freedom. Yeah, I know you would think that. <laughs> but except, it was actually no. I feel like at this point, my need to check Facebook has been common coded on my like. There's something evolutionarily happening where <laughs> I just I instinctually I'll have Facebook open and I'll be like I should open Facebook and it's like it's already there. But it's now it's it's built in. Wow. Um. So there was pandemonium. Um, <laughs> there was pandemonium. There was, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, it affected people in real ways, like who rely on, for example, WhatsApp to communicate with people internationally. Right. Um, but I think for me and most of the people I was talking to, it affects us just in that. Like, for example, I posted <laughs> something on Instagram that morning and I was really hoping to get some likes. I, st oh. I staged a really nice photo. Oh. I'm so sorry. Um, thank you. Thank you for understanding. <laughs> I, I, I recently put my phone to grayscale to try and not use it as much, uh, which basically means that it looks like a black and white TV or whatever. You mean it's uglier and it's not as pleasurable? <laughs> you know what? You know what happened? <laughs> I still use all of the apps. I just have no pleasure in using them. I just get <laughs> I'm like not happy about it. <laughs> but I'm using them basically just as much as I was when it was color. It's really, I've, I feel defeated, honestly. But the thing oh. about this particular Facebook outage is that I noticed recently that when I brought it up to people, more people than usual, when there's some sort of outage in an app we use all the time, more people are like, oh, I didn't notice because, for example, your phone's in grayscale, That's or right. my wife took Facebook off her phone and as a result is using it like 95% less. So she didn't know about it. And I feel like that was the other thing, like half of us were experiencing total panic <laughs> because we couldn't you know, <laughs> access our social media 
But then like half of people were like floating with equanimity on a cloud being like, I didn't even notice that because I deleted that app. <laughs> it, it's funny because I, re- I kind of re- been reconnecting with an old friend who a few years ago, I was like, man, like you got to get online with the rest of us so I, we know what's happening in your life. He's like, you know, I'm sorry. I'm just not the kind of person who does that. I don't, I'm not on Facebook. I'm like, you know what? I think you made the right choice. Yeah. Honestly. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. We've come around now that yeah. there's a point where that was like the pretentious choice. <laughs> yeah. And now it's actually the most honorable, admirable You're so choice. sophisticated. Yeah. Like, <laughs> oh, wow. I wish I, I, I want to be like you one day. Yeah, <laughs> Deactivating Facebook. Facebook. Incredible. Wild. Yeah. It's time for a break. When we come back. You heard about that big college bribery scandal this week where a guy named Rick Singer took wild measures to make sure the children of the rich and famous got into college. What? We have thoughts, and so does one black graduate from one of the nation's top schools. We'll talk about what it was like for her to get in. I'm Julia Furlan, keeping a seat warm for the inimitable Sam Sanders. You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR. Support for this podcast comes from the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation, helping NPR advance journalistic excellence in the digital age. I'm Bob Boylan, host of NPR's All Songs Considered and creator of the Tiny Desk series. I have a message for unsigned musicians all across America. Enter the 2019 Tiny Desk Contest for a chance to play your very own Tiny Desk concert. It'll change your life. So no matter what kind of music you make, we want to hear from you. Find out more at npr.org slash tinydeskcontest. You have until Sunday, April 14th. Better hurry. We're back. You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR, the show where we catch up on the week that was. I'm Julia Furlan, also known as not Sam Sanders, but trying. Coming to you from New York City with our two guests this week, Sally Tamarkin, Features Director itself. Hi, Sal. Hey, Julia. And Arun Venegopal, who covers race and immigration at NPR member station WMYC. Hey, Arun. Hey, Julia. Hi. Now it's time for a segment that we call Long Distance. I know you both have feelings about this one story this particular week, the big college scam story. (sighs) We're going to get to your feelings a little bit later, but let's take a minute and make some noise about what this college scam thing made us feel. I really want you to open up. Open up. (laughs) Give me a noise. Give me a noise. (laughs) It's probably not good to hiss into a microphone, right? (laughs) Are you crying? (laughs) Just weeping. Sobbing, yeah. (laughs) The quick details. Uh, Federal prosecutors this week say they uncovered a scheme where rich parents bought their kids' admission to elite schools like Yale and Stanford and the University of Southern California. Like 50 people have been charged. A lot of them are parents, Hollywood stars and some big name business leader, you know, people in suits and stuff. (laughs) This guy, William Rick Singer, accepted something like $25 million dollars. He allegedly worked to falsify exam scores and had parents Photoshop photos to make it look like their kids played sports that they definitely did not. We wanted to hear from someone who hustled to get where she is and is shining without having to pay any bribes. So we called up Kaya Thomas. I knew Kaya from when she was on a show that I used to produce called Another Round when she was a sophomore in college because she was thriving so much then, Hmm. if you can believe it. Hello. Hi, Kaya. Hi, Julia. How are you? Oh, it's so good to talk to you. She's 23. She's a web developer at Slack. And two years ago, she graduated from Dartmouth College. Ivy League. Dartmouth isn't one of the schools implicated in the bribery story, so we should say that. Kaya's journey to Dartmouth started years before when she was growing up in Staten Island and Harlem. 
When it came time to attend high school, her parents agreed that she would move with her dad to Westchester, just north of New York City, where the schools were much better. She said it was pretty eye-opening. <laughs> By her second year there, when she tried out some honors classes, she was struggling. It was just so much harder, and a lot of the peers um, that I had in my classes had a lot of tutors. Um, all of the kids who were in the honors and AP classes, majority of them were white, rich kids. And some of my best friends to this day are the other black kids who were struggled through these honors and AP classes together. <laughs> That's right, bonded in bonded in in struggle, right? Yes. Um, and what kind of support did you have as you were getting ready to go to college and apply for everything? Did you, like, hire test prep people or maybe bribe people with, like, a couple hundred thousand dollars that you had just, like, <laughs> lying around? Definitely not. Definitely not at all. Um, my father, um, really, he's always been a huge proponent of, of my studies, and my mother, too. Um, but he had the experience of going to college, so he was really, you know, trying to push me to study for my SATs. Um, we actually did a consultation with one of those kind of college prep coaches uh -huh. who helps you with your essays and all this stuff. And she told us that her rate was like 300 plus an hour or something. So oh God. we couldn't afford that. Um, and a lot of the studying that I did was really just on my own with the kind of college prep books and stuff. A lot of the courses were so expensive that you can't really do those test prep courses if you don't have a, a ton of money. I mean, even the books are expensive. I remember trying to just like getting a sense for how expensive all of it was and being like super overwhelmed, even though I was like in a pretty good situation. Yeah, it, it's ridiculous. I actually worked as a peer tutor. So um, I tutored some of the the wealthy kids in this. Um, I worked for a peer tutoring company as a part-time job. And that's actually kind of how I got an insight into how the other side lived, because it was like a Oof. whole new world. And the parents, I talked to the parents and they would tell me like, yeah, like you're one of the many tutors that comes in. And we have other professional tutors for all their classes. And it kind of blew my mind that all these kids have so much help getting through high school. Which is all the more incredible that you got into Dartmouth early action because <laughs> you hustled your actual way to that. You must have yeah. been super, super psyched about it, right? Yeah, I was incredibly proud. I, I can't, I'll never forget um, reading that, logging into the system and reading that I got in um, and then just like running to, to my parents and giving them a hug, yeah. but the, the day I got in, um, towards the end of the school day, I'll never forget, some of the students, and I know who the students are, um, they said, oh, she only got in because she was black, and they started <sighs> spreading that rumor around, um, and it was really hurtful, to be honest, because I know I worked so hard, and they don't know how hard I worked or what I had to do to get in. The SATs, for me, were one of the hardest things I've ever had to do, and in order to actually get a decent score, I, for like three, four weeks, I woke up every Saturday at 7 a.m. and took a full exam. What? So, so that I can train myself to like kind of overcome that anxiety and know that I can do okay. Oh. Like I just know that I worked hard and like I earned my place and nobody can take that away from me. Absolutely. Um, and seeing, you know, the scandal and all these people just walk their way in. I don't know how they sleep at night, to be honest. <laughs> I know, right? I mean... Tell us a little bit about Dartmouth. Was it, uh, you know, I mean, Dartmouth is not exactly like considered the world diversity capital. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, tell Definitely us a little not. bit about what that was like once you were there. Yeah, I mean, 
I thought that I was I had been exposed to, you know, kids of wealth when I was in high school, but going to Dartmouth it was like a whole other <laughs> level of, <laughs> of kids with wealth. You know, I had kids in my class who their last name was the same as people whose last names were on buildings. And I was like, Wait, <laughs> are is that your family? Like you don't wanna ask but you know, it's it's an incredible amount of wealth that you're exposed to and um, I honestly was oblivious to it for a lot of my time there. It wasn't until later on in my college years when I started to meet people who were so wealthy that they started telling me what some of the tells were, how you could tell other people were wealthy. And then I realized, well, oh, everyone must know that I'm not wealthy then <laughs> because I don't have those kind of same attributes. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about your group chats. What's popping off this week as this college <laughs> scam story? What are people saying in the group chats? I mean, we are just like, it's not shocking that we're surprised that they've done this. <laughs> I think a lot of us, what we're really shocked at is the amount, the length that they're going to get their kids like these good test scores and to, to like fake their kids grades and all these accolades. And, I, like, we're just confused that, like, they couldn't do it themselves. Like, <laughs> I know. They hired a whole adult to go and change the test scores. They photoshopped yeah. faces onto people's bodies. Come on. <laughs> so now you're grown and you work in tech and you work at one of my favorite applications, Slack. <laughs> and I was wondering a little bit about how you... Do you ever feel imposter syndrome in your real adult grown life? Yes, for sure. I think the the same idea, you know, dating back to high school and college, the idea that you got where you are because of affirmative action or because of your race or your gender or what have you. I think that sometimes is always there. Um, sometimes, you know, I wonder if people think that, not necessarily like in my, you know, in my job, but do people think that I am where I am because of only this one reason? But how I just try to combat that is just reminding myself of how hard I worked um, yes. and the skills that I have. Um, because the reality is, and like with tech, if I didn't have the skills, there was, there was no way that I would be where I am, right? They're not going to just let, in, let me in just because of race. Like, what if I can't do the job? I have Absolutely. to be able to do the job. And so I just try to remember that, that I can do the job, so I'm here on my own merit. Yeah. Um, and before we go, we usually ask our callers what they're doing for fun this weekend. And, like, I'd say that you're having a pretty big weekend. Kaya, tell yes. us where you are. I am in Amsterdam for the first time. This is, like, my first time to Western Europe, Woo. and I'm really, really enjoying myself. It's such a great city. Yeah. Fault in your stars. Um <laughs> What is one thing that you're looking forward to doing this weekend? What are you going to do? This weekend, I'm looking forward to going to the zoo. <laughs> I know that sounds, that sounds yes. silly, but I actually haven't gone to that many zoos, like even in America. Ooh. So um, I'm excited to just like be a kid again a little bit and go to the zoo and explore it. Look, you deserve every little bit of free time. <laughs> Thank you so much for talking to us. Thanks so much. Have a great rest of your week. You too, Kaya. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks again to Kaya Thomas, 2017 graduate of Dartmouth College, for talking about her own journey to the Ivy League the right way. 
Back here with Sally Tamarkin from Self and Arun Venegopal from NPR member station WMYC. What was your reaction to this story this week? Arun, I know you especially have feelings. Talk oh, about it. it hits close to home, Julia. Uh, gosh, I have, as you know, um, a 12th grader. Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. Anoka. Yeah, that's right. <sighs> We are just waiting. We're hours from hearing from three schools that matter a lot to her. Oh. Um, and so, you know, there's a lot of stress at home. It's We are very tightly wound. And this story just kind of like crashed into our home at precisely the wrong moment. And, and it's not like the sheer number of people is this crazy. We're talking about maybe a couple hundred incidents and all. But I think it really just kind of brought home for millions, millions of people. I, mean, I don't I think I've seen a story like this, which is so just flooded my timeline right absolutely anger and despair about like where do we live you know this isn't the meritocracy or democracy that we were promised you know or think it is i mean the thing that i felt looking at this story is that like if you can put your name on a building and get your kid into college that's already not a meritocracy let's be right. real here i mean on a on a lighter note, um, we have been blessed <laughs> with a wild scam. The thing of photoshopping faces on people. I mean, if that doesn't speak to the immense resources that these people have. And it is, in a way, I guess, not that different from the socially acceptable way of getting your kid in, which is buying a building or donating a bunch of money or being a legacy. I mean, the thing is that it's so hard sometimes to distinguish like the actual truth of the story from like all the parody kind of takes on mm -hmm. like somebody yesterday uh, on Twitter was saying in response to the fact that Lori Laughlin is that her name Lori Laughlin's uh, daughter Aunt Becky, yeah. Aunt Becky's um, daughter who's now in USC um, that she was on the yacht of the chairman of the board of trustees at USC at the time that her mom was charged and someone was tweeting while she was being fed grapes by students on Pell Grants. I'm like, no way, they did that? They make <laughs> students on Pell Grants feed this girl grapes? I, wow. wow, USC. I'm like, oh, wait, maybe not. Maybe not necessarily. But, you know, it felt pretty real given the context. Right, where is the satire and where is the real thing yeah, that happens? Exactly. Yeah, totally. 2019. <laughs> We're in it. We're a in scam. it. It's yeah. a scam. Arun, I hope that it goes well for you and your whole family. Thank you. And I'm sorry that you had to pay $500,000 to make it happen. Just kidding. You know, it's all <laughs> listener-supported public radio funding. <laughs> I just redirect it to where it's needed most. <laughs> okay, it's time for a break. When we come back, everyone's favorite game, Who Said That? You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR. Support for NPR comes from Newman's Own Foundation, working to nourish the common good by donating all profits from Newman's Own food products to charitable organizations that seek to make the world a better place. More information is available at newmansownfoundation.org. We may be on the verge of another sexual revolution. In this one, we turn to machines for companionship and sex. My main objective is to be a perfect companion. How artificial intelligence and robots are changing the landscape of love. This week on Hidden Brain. Okay, we're back. You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR, the show where we catch up on the week that was. I'm Julia Furlan, in for Sam Sanders, here with our guests this week, Sally Tamarkin, Features Director at Self, and Arun Venegapal, who covers race and immigration at NPR member station WMYC. Hi, friends. Hey. Hello. Now it's time for a game. Ooh. Are you ready? Yes. So ready. Mm -hmm. It's called 
Who said that? Ooh, Evan's saying that. Who said that? <laughs> I'm so, scared. Don't be I, scared. I want to say that I am ultra non-competitive. Great, same. I root for other people. Good. But I am, this is, people are going to listen to this, so I'm okay. not going to throw the game. Okay. All right, Sally. It's okay. This is a friendly game, mm-hmm. and here's how it works. I share a quote from the week. You guys have to guess who said it, or at least the story that it refers to, or something like kind of similar. You know, it's it's casual. And just shout it out if you think you know it. And the winner, are you ready for this? Mm-hmm. Are you ready for this? Mm-hmm. Ready. The winner gets nothing. Oh. Absolutely Ooh. nada. A whole How lot much? of nothing. Zed. How much nothing? Nothing. A billion nothing. I'll <laughs> take ready? it. You know what, Julia? I'll take it. Okay. First quote. Luna and I bought a hamster today. Her name is Peanut Butter. John is not thrilled, which makes me love her more. Who said that, Arun and Sally? Aunt Becky. <laughs> oh, my God. Is that real? Oh. No. Uh, it is a wonderful, uh, talented model and a famous cookbook author who's married to a singer who is very active on social media. Oh, uh, Chrissy Teigen? Yes. Nailed it with a thousand clues. Yes, exactly. <laughs> but the clues are there to help you and support you. Um, yes, Chrissy Teigen. Oh, sorry. Teigen. Sorry. Excuse me. I'm sorry. Wait, so okay. she's wrong. I say Chrissy Teigen. I get it. Okay. No. no. Okay. But the, half a point for each of you. Okay, fair. Half um, of nothing for each of you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, Chrissy Teigen and John Legend, they got a hamster. And the hamster's name is Peanut Butter. Uh, the the hamster has like escaped multiple times. It's clear that like Chrissy is very excited and John is not thrilled about mm. it, which you know is like pet ownership and marriage and like families in general, right? Causing so many things. I literally cannot think of anything more adorable in the known universe yeah. than a hamster named Peanut Butter. Peanut Butter. Oh, also you love Peanut Butter, right? Love Peanut <laughs> I, Butter. I too like Peanut right? Butter. Right. Listen, okay, so this the, that question, half a point for each of you and a point and a half for Peanut Butter the Hamster, mm-hmm. who is suddenly playing this game. <laughs> well, it's my famous hamster. <laughs> okay, next quote. This one's tricky. Are you ready? Ready. It's like the Titanic voting for the iceberg to get out of the way. <laughs> it's a big story that happened this week that is hard to understand. The giveaway is hard to understand. Uh-huh. Brexit. Yes. Yes. Oh, my God. Ooh, Sal's, you're doing I'm it. I'm on fire. So the quote is from one senior EU negotiator who said it to describe the UK's vote this week to block a no-deal Brexit, meaning the UK cannot now crash out of the EU without a plan. So basically, my favorite thing about this Brexit stuff is hearing the House of Commons, like, general yelling that happens. Because, like, you want to think, like, oh, British people, proper, blah, blah, blah. And meanwhile, they're like, the the House of Commons is like, oh, every time. And then there's the one guy that's like, oh, (laughs) duh. The gavel. I mean, they go for it. They are entertaining. Yeah. He's an inspiration, that guy. The order guy. (laughs) That guy. (laughs) Yeah. Well, Brexiteers, we'll figure it out someday. Thoughts and prayers. Yeah. (laughs) Indeed. Um, Okay. The final quote. Okay. Um, Sally, you have 2.7 points. Peanut butter the hamster. You have half a point. (laughs) Arun has just paid me $500,000, so he has three points. Yeah. (laughs) Well played. Thanks for that. America. Yeah. (laughs) Um, The final quote is 
I haven't passed a physical note to someone since the fifth grade. Who said that? Chloe. <laughs> Chloe. <laughs> just, just pulling a name out of the hat. I would like to ding. <laughs> okay, ding. I, my, I'm hitting my buzzer. Sally, yes? This is from a story in The Atlantic. Ooh, yeah. About oh teens who are the best. Yes. Um, who pass notes using Google Docs. I love it. What? Uh, Who is this person to my left? I mean, I mean, Sally is like she knows everything. Well, I guess. that's the only one I knew without getting a ton of clues, um, <laughs> and that's because I think teens are the best. None of the clues helped me at all. Well, yeah, fair. Um, <laughs> the quote came from Sky, which is a pseudonym for a 20-year-old who was asked about this trend by Taylor Lorenz in a piece that she wrote for the Atlantic about teens using Google Docs to pass notes in class. Basically, they were using like the chat function of Google Docs to scam all of the adults in their life. Amazing. Arun, are you having this moment of recognition where you're realizing that your daughter has been using Google Docs to, like, pass notes in class? I'm like, why is she throwing her iPad across the class? <laughs> <laughs> it makes no sense. Um, it's amazing, though. Sorry, can yeah? I just say? They, they use the comment functionality, and then they delete all the history so no one can see, so the teachers can't see. It's just, it's brilliant, and it's inspired. Yeah. No teens, paper trail, uh, so to speak. No paper That's trail. That's right. It's just a harbinger of how, like, we think something, like, isn't cool, like a, a word processing app. Uh-huh. <laughs> and they're like, oh, no, this is where we get all our goss. This is how we thrive. They're right. taking us into tomorrow. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah. Um, I will announce the results of the very stiff competition you here. You don't need to announce which them. I think you... we can just kind of guess. It was sort of a tie. <laughs> yeah, it was a tie. <laughs> it you was a tie. You both won. You both won. And Sally won more. But you both won. More of nothing, which is worse than less of nothing. <laughs> That's actually true. Not, it, it actually means that I've lost. <laughs> Congratulations to both of you. <laughs> Thank you. Um, okay. Now it is time to end the show as we do every week. We ask listeners to share with us the best thing that happened to them all week. I always end up getting a little happy cry about this, and I encourage you all to get into that happy cry. Let's be vulnerable and open. <laughs> they all brag about the most wonderful things. Let's take a listen. This is Blaine. And Matt. The best part of our week is sitting here volunteering at member station KOSU in Oklahoma City for their spring membership drive. We love all the KOSU staff and seeing the community support on this last day of the drive is amazing. Hope you have a great week. Thanks. This is Brenna calling from Florence, Alabama. The best thing that happened to me this week is I published my first book. My son said Dada to my husband for the first time. I finally got to see Hamilton, and it was everything that I had been expecting and hoping and dreaming of. I came in first in a half marathon this weekend in just under an hour and 20 minutes. I got to celebrate my 33rd birthday with my partner Austin and a great group of our good friends. The best thing that happened to me this week was my son graduated from boot camp on Paris Island. He's home for a week before he gets shipped off again to who knows where. But we really appreciate having him devote his life to the service of our country. This is Anna from Chicago, Illinois. And I am on my way to the airport today to fly to Stuttgart, Germany, where I'm going to perform in the 23rd International Solo Dance Theater Festival on Saturday. But what's really the best part of my week is that today is also the day that my mom has her last radiation treatment for breast cancer. I know she really wanted to travel with me to see this performance, but I hope that she knows that I really wish I could be with her to see her ring the bell and finish strong and cancer-free. Thanks so much for the show. I love listening. Thanks. Have a good one. Bye. 
Thank you so much to all the listeners you heard there. Blaine and Matt, Brenna, Maya, Christy, Michael, Jeremy, Claudia, and Anna. Listeners, thank you so much for all of your submissions to that segment. We do hear all of them, even if we can't play them here. Thank you so much for sharing. And if you want to share your best thing on the show next week, just record yourself and share it with us anytime. Email your audio file to samsanders at npr.org. samsanders at npr.org. Oh, I'm still getting over the emotion. <laughs> That's a wrap for this week. This is it. We're going out on the theme song for One Day at a Time, which will be gone from Netflix, but forever in our hearts. Netflix, I've got nothing but eye emojis for you about this. <laughs> Thank you so much to my guests this week, Sally Tamarkin, Features Director at Self, and Arun Venegapal, who covers race and immigration at NPR member station WMYC. Thank you both so much for hanging out. I really appreciated it. Thanks, Julia. Thanks, Julia. Woo! It's Been a Minute was produced this week by Brent Bachman, Anjali Sastry. Our editors are Alex McCall and Jordana Hochman. Steve Nelson is our director of programming, and the senior vice president of programming at NPR is Anya Grunvin. And listeners, make sure you come back next Tuesday to hear my conversation with Greta Lee, who's a comedic actress you've seen in Girls and Broad City. Yeah, do you know this? Oh, God, Sally, what's your face? Sweet birthday, baby. Yeah, sweet birthday, baby. You'll find out what that means next week. <laughs> That's in your podcast feed on Tuesday. Until then, I'm Julia Furlan, in for Sam Sanders. Thank you so much for listening. One